Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. I am thrilled for today's episode because I am interviewing a true trailblazer, an entrepreneur that started with an idea like all of us do and saw it through to a business that has now turned into a franchise. Today I am speaking with Debbie Blatcher. Debbie is the founder of Wholesome Tummies, a new franchise concept built around healthy foods for kids that they actually enjoy. Debbie and another mom, who were both driven to see a change in the quality of the food we feed our children, launched the business in 2007. They worked their way in a grassroots effort from school to school to school until they had built up a large enough network from which they could grow. They eventually franchised the model and now are located in 14, I believe 14 states across the U.S. What a story. Hello, Debbie, and welcome. Hi, Josh. Thank you for that great introduction. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, excited to have you today. I mean, it's a really, really cool um, concept that you have, and I can't wait to to sort of dive into it. And I, and I love talking with people like yourself who have who followed through on an idea and created a successful business from it because so many of us have ideas, and then they just die as ideas, you know, and, yeah, and you go through yeah. that, you go through that stage where you get you're super super excited about the idea and then you hear from that one person who goes "Ooh, that's kind of a stupid idea and it just kills everything (laughs) so i know it's so true (laughs) you know so i love hearing from somebody like yourself who's actually followed through on it and made a success of it um so that's great now before we dive into the details of your business journey uh, tell us what were you doing before you came up with the wholesome tummies concept So, um, you know, a business journey is so similar to a life journey, you know, and uh, I had my own life journey. I had uh, gone in and out of corporate America. Um, I was a a good little student. My parents raised me to go to college and go out and get a nice, secure job, which is what I did, and um, found that it was really not very fulfilling for me, and I didn't really understand why. So, Early in my career, um, I studied human resources, and I worked my way up to uh, to a point where I was leading a team of people and you know reporting directly to the CEO of a company. But it still wasn't really fulfilling for me, so I started actually just um, changing jobs, going from a large Fortune 500 company to a middle uh, market company, and then my last job before I, I left to have kids was a startup. And I was the 22nd employee hired, and I stayed with the company for four years and until we got to 150 employees. And I realized that was exactly what my niche was, was getting involved with something at the ground floor and taking it up uh, out of the ground. 
Um, so that's what I was doing. I, I was doing that for several years, and then I decided to have kids, and I went on the mommy track, and, and right before I founded Wholesome Tummies, I had just found out I was pregnant with my third child, and I was just getting ready to reenter the workforce in some capacity. I just wasn't sure what it was, so I was doing some part-time consulting at the time, and my neighbor and friend of I um, and, and myself came up with the idea, just seeing that we were so um, pushed for time. Um, being parents and getting back to work and trying to juggle it all. And we thought other moms could use a break just like we could. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, you said you, you weren't finding yourself fulfilled in a job, and so you were changing jobs. And that, that really so resonates with me because I was doing the exact same thing, going from law firm to law firm to law firm, and always thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? You know, I'm having success at these firms. Things are going well. And then it's almost like a self-sabotaging or, or just like I would just lose interest. Were you having that same feeling? I mean, because it wasn't until I actually launched my own business that I look back on that and go, those were some of the signs that I didn't realize at the yeah. time, but I realize it now that we're saying, yeah. uh, Josh, you got to go do your own thing. Yes, I know. There's no rule book for life, is there? You know, so, you know, you go through school and, and you have you follow many times other people's expectations of what you should do and, and kind of fall into this path and not knowing yourself well in your early 20s. You don't really know what you're doing when you make these kinds of decisions. And, and I agree with you. I think those were some early signs and certainly didn't recognize it at the time. I just knew that it wasn't a good fit for me for whatever reason and decided to move along. But it was certainly frustrating. Um, but I can't tell you since starting my own business how, uh, how exhilarating it is because it's just so right. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where they say, you know, follow your passion and, and the money will follow or do what you love and the money will follow. And it's just one of those things where I love what I'm doing and I wake up every morning thinking about it. I go to bed at night and in the middle of the night sometimes wake up with ideas. And, and this is seven years later. So I agree with you. You know, those were warning signs. And, and I think budding entrepreneurs, if they feel those kinds of things, they probably need to make a change. Well, so now you you had said the last company you were at I, was you started as what the twentieth or twenty fifth employee? Somewhere. Yes, twenty second employee. Yes, sir. Yep. Okay, and then and then you, you grew that. What what capacity did you play, or what capacities or roles did you play in that company as it grew? So I think at that level, you know, you really do a little bit of everything, um, which is what I love about small business. You learn about so many different areas of the company. And I was hired based on my background in human resources. So I was hired as their first human resources director. Um, and in that role, it was part of the executive management team. So, you know, I brought on some of the other leaders in the company with my recruiting background um, and then really helped to shape the core values and, and vision and purpose of the company. Um, the CEO of that firm was a, just a, he's a wonderful man, and he really wanted to create a different kind of company. And so we spent a lot of time exploring the book uh, Built to Last. And if you're familiar with that one, a fantastic um, business book. And we looked at Jim the Collins of that book. Yes, yeah. correct. Love Amazing. That book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we looked at, you know, defining what our core purpose is and our core mission, our core vision, and getting everyone's buy-in on that. So um, that was a big part of what I did in, in addition to creating the infrastructure for the company to grow. So, you know, since I had 
played a role in larger companies. I knew how important those systems were and getting that infrastructure standardized so that everyone could, uh, you know, could, could kind of follow the same procedures and processes and, and everything would be streamlined and you get to the point where you have repeatable and predictable results, which, of course, you need to really grow your business. See, now you're speaking the franchise euphoria language. Yeah. Systems, process, <laughs> repeatable. I mean, that's awesome. We love that. I love, I love hearing that. I mean, so let's talk about so let's talk about that jump and let's talk about uh, what it was like for you going from the idea stage of, you know, providing healthy food for kids and, and, and getting them off the junk train. And but realizing that, obviously, I mean, you realize that the, you can't really force kids to eat stuff. Anybody who has kids know they, they sort of eat what they eat, um, but you can maybe right, train right. them a little bit. But um, how did you go from the idea stage um, and and then actually turn that corner into a viable business? Yeah, yeah. I think the number one thing that that we did right at that really early kind of formative stage where a lot of companies don't ever make it past – um, is that we listened to our customers because, and you and you said it, Josh. When we started this, we really wanted to change the world. I think, like every entrepreneur, you know, our eyes were bigger than everything else, and and we just thought we could get kids eating tofu and green beans. You know, we were going to reverse single-handedly reverse the obesity crisis, and we're going to get these kids to eat healthy whether they like it or not. And and guess what? I mean, a lot of them wouldn't eat that way, and not only the children had a lot of adverse reactions to even seeing something green on their plate, but even many times the parents, you know, there was just an education piece there that was missing. So although we came out very strong, I mean, you know, very strong, like we were putting pureed chickpeas into our chocolate chip cookies, and we were very proud of it, you know, and we would tell the parents this, and they would look at us like we had three heads. <laughs> so we realized we had to come back down to earth. We had to refine our menu. We had to really go where our customers wanted to go. And where our customers wanted us to be is give me a healthy choice for my child that I know they'll eat, make it convenient for me, and you will make my life so much easier and I'll be your loyal customer. And we found that through focus groups. We found that through those early days of of having a core value of customer dedication. So whatever it took, to right or wrong, when we had a dissatisfied customer, we bent over backwards to understand what the issue was, how could we fix it, and it was really through that process of working with our customers that that got us over that hump because we became the kind of company that they needed us to be. You know, it wasn't the company that we wanted to be; it's what they needed us to be, and I think that was huge. No, but that's really smart. I mean, that's really smart, and so many entrepreneurs don't do that and don't figure that out until they go bankrupt once or twice, and then they figure it out. Do you think some of your prior experiences played a role in you you understanding that that was so important? Because that, I mean, I think that's something that's, that's a really, really important thing for a lot of people to understand is, you know, just because you go into business with an idea of what your product, what your service is, you need to have that open yeah. mindset to be able to shift a little bit when you once you get the feedback, yeah. and you need to seek the feedback. Yes, you're absolutely right. Right, and I, and I don't believe my prior experiences had anything to do with that. To be totally honest with you, I didn't. You know, being in human resources, the the role of the customer and marketing was not something I focused on. But I, I think I know what did help us see that. And I think what it was is 
you know, when we first started the business, it was it was 2008 when we moved into operation. We, we developed the concept in 2007, started servicing schools in, in 2008. It was October of that year. We'd been in business for two months when the stock market crashed and we entered into the recession. And honestly, I really think it was a matter of survival, Josh. I really think it was a matter of at that moment in time, almost overnight, we lost half of our customer customer base. And, and to dig deep and figure out how are we going to grow this thing? How can we survive? You know, how can we make it another year? How can we make it through this school year? And it was just part of needing. We needed those customers. We couldn't live without them. We really did need them. Well, so tell me how's so the how, so tell me how this works and how the and how that crash affected you because you guys. So you guys. Well, let me let, let's have you explain it. Explain the process of how you contact yeah. schools, what you do for them, how you work with. I guess the cafeterias, or I don't know if you work with the cafeterias or not, or how how that yeah. whole process works yeah. with your business. Okay, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so. Basically, what we do is we provide a total school lunch solution for schools that are ready to make a commitment to student health. So they're in a situation where they've got maybe an average or or below average lunch program. They're getting parent feedback that it's not healthy enough or they're losing money on a program because they can't afford it. They don't understand maybe how food service works and maybe they don't have the technology or the menus to deliver the kind of program their parents expect. And, and as you know, the food industry is changing, you know, and people are becoming more focused on the health and the purity of ingredients in food. So we approach these schools, and that's really where the first, you know, transaction happens is, is, is finding a partner school that has the same mission as we do, which is getting these kids to, to really eat better. And then what we provide them with is a total solution. So what that means is we provide them with all of the food, the menu planning, so they don't have to do that, and the software needed for the parents to be able to order everything online. So that in, in essence, the school almost becomes out of the, out of the picture. It runs very independent to them which many schools like because they don't, you know, they, they'll do the school lunch program, but just because the parents need a choice and not because they're experts in school food service, you know. So they're very happy to just outsource that and, and, and let us handle it. Now, are you working so with really public, just, public and private schools? You know, mostly just private schools. We're in a few charter schools, but we really focus. Our niche right now is preschool up to high school, independent schools or charter schools, and we really don't work with too many public schools. It's it's hard to provide the kind of food that we provide at that price point. Now, that's fascinating. And so, I mean, are you, you know, as an example, I mean, my, my daughter goes to my my daughter goes to a school, private school, and I know that they, you know, pl- they place a lot of emphasis on on trying to have healthy foods, you know, they have their own garden and whatnot. But quite frankly, I see the food and I hear about the food that she eats every day, and it is anything but healthy. I will tell you that. <laughs> I mean, um, so how do, is that? Is that a? How do you get around, or how do you get? Because this is a very different concept, I think. I mean, do you know? Are there any other businesses that are doing this? Uh, there are some, actually. You know, you really be surprised. I mean, the last, you know, five to ten years, there's a, you know, a lot, a lot of small businesses have kind of come out of the ground, and there's been a lot of entrepreneurial activity with the internet becoming so mainstream and everything, and, and a lot of them do involve technology. There, there are a few um, companies, some that service the public school market, and and some private schools that, that do uh, similar programs that, that as we do. We're the only franchise concept. 
and were one of the first ones to come on the stage. So we've got some experience there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think there's a big opportunity here. You know, I mean, when you look at the school food service industry as a whole, it's a $42 billion market, and it's really fragmented. So, I mean, schools that have kitchens often have access to to, to bigger companies' resources like a Sodexo or Aramark or, you know, the big food service companies. But those that do not have kitchens often are turning to fast food or local restaurants to be their lunch program. And, and that's unfortunate because, of course, then these kids are eating fast food five days a week. So um, it's a really interesting market. Oh, no, that's that that really, what you just said really kind of struck a chord a little bit. I didn't even think about that. I'm, I'm just sitting here assuming that, most of these schools have kitchens. And so I thought maybe that was going to be something, you know, a hurdle to have to overcome, sort of get by the gatekeeper. You know, how do you get in there and offer this kind of service, which sounds, I mean, it sounds fantastic. Um, but I guess it'd be a little bit easier, right, if they don't have an actual kitchen. It is. Yes, it really is. That's that's kind of a, a nice opportunity for us when we get that. And really, I would say about half of the schools that we encounter have kitchens and, and half do not. And, and of the half that have kitchens, they're not really your from-scratch kitchens, you know, because that's a different type of equipment you need. A lot of the schools that have kitchens, you know, are just equipped for kind of a heat-and-serve operation. So they're buying, you know, frozen product, and they're reheating, and they're serving it to the kids. So, you know, some of the things I see when I go into some of these schools that don't really have a strong program is, you know, I like to call it a sea of brown. You know, when you look across the, the cafeteria line, there's a, you know, a fried uh, chicken patty on a white bun with tater tots, you know, and maybe canned peaches and syrup. And that's what the kids are getting. There's no color. There's no nutrition. You know, there's, there's nothing fresh. So even if they have the kitchen facilities, a lot of them don't have the right equipment or even know how to cook from scratch. So they're doing the best they can, but you know, a lot of improvements needed. So, you know, the first time I heard about your concept, and I think I read an article in Entrepreneur Magazine or maybe um, another new, newspaper article, and then also just in talking to you right now, I mean, I keep going back, I keep thinking about Jamie Oliver. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and remember that show he had? I don't know if it's still on, where he would go into schools. I forget what it was called. Um, yep, yep. It was, uh, the, it was food, the Food Revolution. Yes. Uh, I don't know the name of the but that's what he did. It was a whole revolution, and he had that school bus. You remember the school bus? He filled it with sugar and said, this is how much sugar the kids are eating in a week, and it was, I don't know, tens of tons. Yeah, my <laughs> wife would DVR that. Bus. Yeah, she dvr that. She loved that show. I don't know if it's still on, but was that right around the same time you launched, or was that before or after? Uh, you know what? I don't know. It was right around the same time. It was right around that time. But it's not on anymore. He lasted two seasons. He went into two. Now, he tried to transform the public schools. I mean, really, that that's going to take decades to do. You know, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it took us 100 years to get where we are right now. It's going to take us 100 years to get out, you know. So he was a little bit early, I think. But he went into West Virginia public schools, and then he went into Los Angeles public schools. Yeah. And then they did not renew his contract. I know that was a battle he should not have picked but uh well listen let's turn I want to turn to the whole franchise aspect and um, I'm really fascinated by this and so were you you know a lot of businesses when they turn themselves into franchises the entrepreneur behind it first gets the idea because somebody approaches them and says hey you know are you selling are you a franchise are you selling locations and a lot of times an entrepreneur will go Ooh, that sounds interesting. Let's look into that. But they didn't yeah. really 
think about it ahead of time. I'm curious, did you always have an idea that you wanted to franchise this model, or is this something that came up as you became more successful? No, just just as you said with many others. I mean, this was not something we were looking to do. I mean, we always had a, a big idea of it being more than just an Orlando-based business, so we always wanted to create something lasting, but I had no knowledge of franchising or and didn't, you know, in, in my mind, franchising wasn't even an option because franchising is for Subways and McDonald's. It's not for this entirely new revolutionary type of concept. So it wasn't until we met somebody, it was a parent up in Baltimore who mentioned the franchise term to us and said, you should franchise it and let me know when you do because I'll bring it into Baltimore for you. So we fell into it. That's awesome. So what, what was the first thing that you did after you started really thinking about franchising? Um, well, really, not knowing anything about it, just started researching, Googling everything we possibly could and getting our hands on books and talking to experts in the field. There's a number of consulting firms that specialize in franchising, and we reached out to them, and, and everyone's so generous with their time. It's a wonderful industry, as, as you know. I mean, everyone's just so supportive and eager to help and, 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 and want you to be successful. So we found a few um, consultants who early on validated it was a franchisable concept, um, helped us you know, write the operations manual and the training program and the legal documents and understand kind of the, you know, the industry so that we could get it up and running. It took us about uh, six to nine months to get everything in place before we started actually recruiting franchisees. I say I love that you said that because when I when I work with clients on that, I always say it's going to be six to nine months, sometimes a year, and they always are like, really? It takes that long? I don't think anybody really fully appreciates uh, when you to do it the right way, it takes time yeah, um, to implement that. What was that like for you? I'm curious because most 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 entrepreneurs that go through that process, yeah. it's like pulling teeth, quite frankly, because it's like it's like <laughs> okay, Debbie, we know that you know how this operates, but you got to get it down on right. paper. Right. <laughs> you know, and and that's where I think you know it was great for me to have a partner, especially in those early days, because we were you know, really polar opposites with our experiences and perspectives and our strengths and weaknesses. So we worked really, really well together. And she had had a very entrepreneurial background. So for her, you know, taking risks was not a big deal. For me, I had more of that corporate background. So you could imagine the two of us getting all this together. I mean, for me, writing a training manual was, you know, like speaking English. I mean, it was second nature to me. So um, we really was working as a team, I think, and then having the right expertise around us to, to help make that happen. So we are, I have so many things I want to ask you. We are limited on time um, because of me. I have to get to another meeting, so I apologize for that. But I definitely, before we go, I want to talk about, uh, for, for a couple minutes, tell me about the ideal candidate that you guys are looking for to become a franchisee because I think it's so, so important, something that's often overlooked. I always like to ask the franchise, or tell me who you're looking for. Who's going to be a great, wholesome tummies franchisee? Because it's not going to be for everybody. Right. No, no, it's certainly not. You're absolutely right. And, and it's funny because I think, I think that profile evolves. 
you know, as you as you start up the business, I mean, in the beginning we were looking for someone just like ourselves because we had started it. So we figured we just want to replicate ourselves. And then we realized very quickly that that wasn't really the, the profile. If we're going to go out and find the right person for this, it was going to be someone who really – um, was passionate about doing this, but, but maybe the passion wasn't as important as it had been for us. Maybe more important was the ability and the experience to build a business. You know, um, it's taken us seven years to get to this point. We want people who could come in, learn the model, and execute and build us up to be a million-dollar business year two, you know. So we're looking for people who aren't, aren't scared to, to take those risks, to, to invest in getting a sales team and, and really get into these markets and, and take advantage of the opportunity. So I would say passion's important. Um, being a business builder is even more important. And then also of equal importance is having the financial ability to sustain your business before you can really get it uh, up and running to a point where it sustains itself. So you need some operating capital to do that. So those three things, I think, are the trifecta for us. Now, are you expanding organically? In other words, are you guys are you guys identifying people yourselves or maybe through connections you have? Are you working through a third-party company to help identify people yeah. Across, yeah. Across, across the country? You know, we, we, we kind of look at it like a stock portfolio. You know, there's, we can't really put all our eggs in one basket because the market changes so quickly. So we do invest some in, like, portal advertising. There are some franchise portals, as you know. We'll advertise the concept there. We also work with a broker network, so we make sure we're tapping into that area of the market, too. We have referral programs, so we get great referrals from our franchisees, which is terrific. And then just website. I think our customers are also a good source of, uh, of possible referrals, and we'll get probably a few, a few hits on our website every day. We really don't know where they come from, you know. So I think public relations and, and, uh, and getting out there in the market just helps build the brand, and that builds awareness and, and feeds the, uh, the recruiting um, wheel. So it, it, it's a lot of different things, I think. And you have to do it that way. You can't rely on just a single source. Well, I love what you're doing. I love the concept. I, I just, I love any time I can talk to somebody who's got a business that combines, you know, true aspects of what a business is and you're growing it and you're, you, you've got the franchise thing going, but you're doing something that socially is responsible and good. And so it's a, it's a win-win. So I really, really love that. And uh, I applaud you for doing that. Before we hang up, tell people where they can reach out to you or how they can get in touch with you if they have questions or they want to learn more about the concept. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So so we, um, I would recommend you go to our website, and that is uh, WTCafe.com. WT Cafe is a brand that we take into schools. Wholesome Cummings is our parent company. And you'll learn all about the, the menu, our program. You'll get to meet our, our local owners. We have bios and, uh, and pictures of our owners on there. And you can um, always request more information. And we'd be happy to, to tell you more about, about the model and the business and get to know you. If you have a school that's interested in the program, we'd love to talk to them, too. Well, thanks again, Debbie. Look forward to keeping tabs and uh, staying in touch with you. Really appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Josh. Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, 
I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. 